I'm Mark Harry, and thank you for joining me once more as we're going to the army. Hello to you all and welcome back to Going to the Army. A few days ago I was looking through some old messages from July 2013 and that's when I first had the idea of creating a Salvation Army music podcast. Testing the water, asking some friends if they'd be interested in such a thing and so on. Well, who would have known it would be the start of a broadcasting journey for me that has seen me produce over a 100 hours of podcasts, as well as close to 70 Salvation meetings in the last 10 years. There have been tribute specials to some of the Army's finest musicians, including George Marshall, Joy Webb, Ray Edmund Allen and Norman Bearcroft. There's been a virtual festival from a simulated Royal Albert Hall and even live broadcasts with Salvation Brass and Fortress Radio. What an adventure it's been so far. Many of those earliest episodes have now been listened to or downloaded tens of thousands of times through Podomatic or iTunes, and in those years, God has blessed me in ways I could never have imagined even ten years ago. Including, of course, getting married to Sarah, moving to Lincoln, becoming a bandmaster myself, and not least, becoming a dad again to two beautiful little girls. Wow. Anyway, this episode is my special way to mark that anniversary and the wonderful wealth of Salvation Army ministry, not only over the last 10 years, but 158 years of its God-blessed work. So, in this first of a four-part mini-series, we're going to be learning a bit about army history and hearing brass and vocal music from each decade of the Salvation Army's existence. We'll go through these years in order. And of course, from 1865 until 1878, the Salvation Army was known as the Christian Mission. Where better to start, then, than with the Christian Mission War Song? First published in Christian Mission magazine in February 1774, and with words attributed to George Scott Railton. And we're going to hear it recorded here by the massed forces of a packed Royal Albert Hall in 1977 and set to the grand Welsh tune, Men of Harlech. It was arranged for the occasion, as if you couldn't have guessed, by Ray Edmund Allen. The Christian Mission War Song.
With Salvation Army bands only bursting into life in 1878, when the Fry family augmented an open-air service in Salisbury, there is, of course, no band music that was published by the organisation from the first decade or so of its existence. What we now call the General Series started publication five years after that in 1883, and more of that later, but new songs, choruses and innovations formed a very important role in those wonderfully exciting early days of our blessed movement. Now, while I'm sure that many new songs were written for the Christian mission, it's very hard to find out which ones these actually were. Many songs that we now think of as very army were originally none of the sort. Those great old songs of Elisha Hoffman, for example, Are You Washed in the Blood of the Lamb and Glory to His Name? Nope. Elisha was an American church pastor. We are marching on with shield and banner bright. Nope, that one's Fanny Crosby. As I've just said a moment ago, the Fry family only came on the scene in 1878, and Richard Slater, who's often referred to as the father of Salvation Army music, wasn't even saved until 1882. Dear Herbert Booth, well, he was barely three when his father founded the Christian Mission, so it was a few more years until he was writing the many songs of his that we still love today. But one old song we do know was used at that time was only published a hundred years later. In 1975, that was, when again Ray Stedman Allen made a new arrangement of it and it found a place in the musical Salvationist. So here it is, one of the oldest real army songs we have, heard here in one of the great Canadian festivals of the 1970s with the Canadian staff band and massed chorus of singers marching along. <laughs> Yeah. 
One of the greatest centres of life in the early days of the Christian mission was Whitechapel, the very first home of the mission, when William Booth held open-air meetings outside the Blind Beggar pub. And the core at Whitechapel became the first home of the whole organisation. It was there that the first meetings were held, the first soup kitchens opened, oh, and much, much more, of course, as even a token study of the origins of the Salvation Army will confirm. There were a few surprises too, though. The regular communion services and healing services that took place would be two things that became in time wholly unfamiliar with the ultimate practices of the Salvation Army. While looking for songs and or music that was associated with and used by the early day Salvation Army, I was drawn to the issues of the Christian Mission magazine that the Salvation Army hosts very kindly and free of charge on its own website. We're able to glimpse there a view of some of the songs that were used in early meetings, as well as reading in order as the mission spread around the UK. I heartily recommend a few hours perusing those to any of you with an interest in our history. Anyway, I eventually came across a song published in that very magazine in November 1871. It was called The Song of the Christian Pilgrims. We don't know sadly who wrote it, but it was set to an American secular tune called Annie Lyle. Yeah, and I'd never heard of that one either. Well, it did become a popular tune in the army. For decades it was known by the eternally optimistic title, Death is Coming. But in more recent times we've known it as Whitechapel. And the words of the song were these. Earth is dark with sin and darkness, labour, care and strife. Heaven is bright with love and gladness, holiness and life. Who would dwell in pain and sorrow? Who would always roam? Who would tarry in a desert far away from home? Ever onward, ever upward, for the land we love, Jesus daily leads us forward to our home above. I don't actually have a recording of either Whitechapel or Death is Coming, but it's great to know that as recently as 1994, that tune was the subject of a major Salvation Army work for brass bands. I'm talking, of course, about Kenneth Downey's superb Music of Thanksgiving. It's based on that very tune, Whitechapel. So here's an excerpt from that piece, played for us by the International Staff Band. Thank you. 
Another early Salvation Army song that my studies has uncovered was the song We'll Be Heroes. Like many other songs from this era, it's always been attributed to Anon. But the research I've been able to do recently does suggest to me that it might have been an early work of Kate Booth Clibben. She was the founder's daughter, who was also known as La Maréchale. If so, she would have been about 15 when she wrote it. Well, she was preaching and sharing a platform with her father at 16, so I reckon that's a possibility. Whether she wrote it or not, the song was certainly republished several times in the early 20th century by Kate and her husband Arthur after they'd become Pentecostal ministers in the USA. It was certainly a song that was around and well used in the early days of the army. It was quoted by one William Wardle in an article in the magazine way back in April 1873. So here is that song, sung for us by the International South Songsters and from one of my favourite CDs ever, The Spirit of the Army. We'll be heroes. to the next decade of Salvation Army history, it would be rather amiss of me to omit one more rather obvious reference to the Christian mission. The change occurred, of course, quite quickly during the course of 1878. When the converted chimney sweep Elijah Cadman opened the Christian mission's work in Whitby, North Yorkshire, he immediately started to refer to himself as a captain and he posted signs all over the town declaring warfare on sin, informing them that an army, under the control of one General Booth, was about to make things happen in the town. And within months of this declaration, even Booth himself had adopted the new persona of the Salvation Army, an army waging an eternal warfare against both sin and deprivation in society. By the time a full book of Salvation Army songs was published in 1880, it contained the song that we now know as The Christian Mission, telling the story of the early days of the mission. We're used to this version, it became a very popular songster song, with just seven verses, but the original had, wait for it, 15. 
If you want to know what they were, perhaps you should drop me a line. But here's the song as most of us know it, arranged yet again by Ray Stebbin Allen and sung with excerpts from the Christian Mission magazine by the Birmingham Citadel Songsters. And now, some reports from the Christian Mission magazine of 1878. On Monday, September the 30th, our weeknight place was packed in every part. Four precious souls professed to find peace. Offerings at the door, tuppence. Oh, hallelujah, four for tuppence. Among those whose hearts were broken in pieces was a conjurer who tore up his cards and gave the captain his winning one. He signed the pledge and broke down before God, got saved, went home and destroyed his rabbits, got honest employment and is now doing well. Hallelujah! Oh, hallelujah! One convert is a newsmonger who has been a great drunkard and gambler. He is now very happy and as he goes through the street with his papers, he shouts sometimes, Hallelujah! Leeds Express! Hallelujah! One woman said, I will, I will give everything up. And she handed me a purse of tobacco. Some gave up feathers nearly as long as your arm. Some brooches, some thick twist and lots of pipes. One man handed me his pipe saying, tell the general I will give it up. Another man said, I feel so happy I could jump out of my skin. I preached one night about Zacchaeus being up a tree. I told them they were up a tree. And hallelujah, 18 jumped down and received him joyfully. On Sunday, 30 souls came out crying for mercy. We can't get the meetings closed. They want to stay all night. Thank you. 
Something that the Salvation Army soon became famous for was the taking of secular songs and melodies and adapting them for a more heavenly purpose. Now, I'm not here to debate today whether or not the founder actually said, why should the devil have all the good music? But he certainly supported this idea. And we all know that everything from patriotic airs, classical music, melodies, music hall songs, and even the roughest and rudest drinking songs were all borrowed and put to a better use. Perhaps the most famous of these was the transformation of Champagne Charlie into Bless His Name He Sets Me Free. But there were many other examples of secular songs converted, converted in a very real sense, for Salvation Army use. I Traced Her Little Footsteps Through the Snow became The Blood of Jesus Cleanses White as Snow. Rule Britannia became Hail Emmanuel, Here's the Good Old Whiskey became Storm the Forts, and of course, there were many, many more. And we're indebted, of course, to the wonderful Colonel Norman Bearcroft, who revived many of these conversions, and they formed a large proportion of the early repertoire of the International Staff Songsters that Norman began in 1980. Here's just a selection of that type of song now, titled The Good Old Days, and featuring the international staff songsters, a massed chorus and ensemble of musicians from one of those great Royal Albert Hall festivals back in the 1980s. The Good Old Days.
I found him without water too, and now I thank God that I know. My heart was filled with gloom, but they told me at the Savior's feet, for the vilest there was room. I went, and now I praise the Lord, I'm pardoned.
resist including just one more of those early songs. This time it's a song of testimony. I even remember being part of the recording of this song in one of the final festivals at the Fairfield Hall's Croydon following a week of studies at the National School of Music at Cobham Hall. Songs leader Fred Crowhurst of Birmingham Citadel featured as the soloist in this performance of On Saturday Night I Went to the Dance. Oh! 
against the devil I've taken my stand I'm fighting now throughout the land Since I've been in the army Went to the dance, he went to the dance On Saturday night, he 
several of the founders' children became prolific composers of new songs for their father's army. No doubt encouraged by George Scott Railton, who spent a lot of time with the family during their formative years. Both Kate, who I mentioned earlier, and Herbert began composing in their mid-teens. And so here's one of Kate's songs now, Take All My Sins Away, sung by the Mooney Pond Songsters from Sydney and featuring as soloist one of the great Australian vocal soloists, Harry Dench. Take All My Sins Away. Spotless lamb, I come to thee from thee. No longer can I stay. Break every chain, now set me free. Take all my sins away.
Another of the great providers of early Salvation Army songs was Colonel William Pearson. Pearson had been involved in the Whitechapel Corps from very early in its life. Indeed, he was the man behind some of those Whitechapel healing services that I spoke of earlier. Though we remember him now more for writing songs like Joy in the Salvation Army, Never Run Away, and We're an Army Fighting for a Glorious King. But here's my favourite William Pearson song, brilliantly sung for us by Katie Harding, The Hallelujah City.
Before moving on from 1885, yes, we're 20 years into the Army's history already, I must mention that what we now call the General Series, that's band arrangements for larger bands, with the same parts that we still publish for today, you know, soprano call it, solo, first and second call it, solo, first and second horns, and so on. Well, most of the early pieces in that series were simply song tunes that had been arranged for band. But number 33 in the series is, I think, the earliest piece of Salvation Army published band music that has yet to be recorded. Having been included on an LP of Marches that was recorded and released by two of the Stockholm bands in 1965. The words associated with this historic piece were written by Richard Slater, and he also arranged the music although it was originally from the opera Lucia de Lammermoor by the composer Donizetti. And those words are, Roused from my slumber, called forth to war, I follow now my saviour. I trod the path that he trod before, winning for me God's favour. Danger and hardship, sorrow and pain, I'll bear with joy for my saviour's name. Though fierce the conflict, yet this I'll know, I shall the victory gain. And the chorus says, I am a soldier, glory to God, fighting for Christ who bought me. I am a soldier washed in his blood. I shall the victory gain. And this is that arrangement, number 33 in the general series, I am a soldier. In 1886, as most Salvation Army historians know, the Salvation Army began to publish a monthly collection of new songs for soloists, songster brigades and congregations, as well as, somewhat lesser known to most of us, brass quartets, violin, piano and flute solos and a whole lot more. This new publication was called The Musical Salvationist, and it ran for 107 years before being replaced by the current publication, Sing to the Lord, in 1994. Norman Bearcroft again put together a suite of songs that featured in the very first year of The Musical Salvationist's history, containing the songs I Couldn't Stay Away, there is mercy in Jesus, and I'll praise him over the banks of Jordan. Here once again are the international staff songsters and the festival chorus singing Sweet 1886. <laughs> ¶¶ 
As a youngster myself in the Salvation Army, and, and then as I got older too, I was often intrigued by the names of some of the writers whose names appear in our songbooks. Amongst them was one Agnes Heathcote. Many years later, I wrote a new melody to one of her most famous songs, Jesus Came With Peace To Me, and through using that arrangement regularly, I discovered that she had been born the daughter of a Scottish minister called MacDool before becoming a Heathcote on her marriage. And the couple's ministry eventually took them to the United States of America. While Agnes had nine songs published in The Musical Salvationist, perhaps the most famous today being this one, arranged by Richard Phillips and played by the Hendon Band, I'll Follow Thee.
This next item gives me the opportunity to tell you about a couple of new ideas I've had in the last year or so for podcasts. Even a couple of new series that may well go alongside going to the army. Several people have asked me to put something together to mark the Gowans and Larson musicals. Of course, the songs from these have made up a great proportion of music that I've featured on Going to the Army over the years. But I thought it might be good to take each musical and explore how the music that came from it has been incorporated into the wider Salvation Army world over the years. Maybe we could also include a synopsis of the stories and some personal memories from people who've been involved in productions. Let me know what you think of that idea, and maybe we'll see that series. The other idea brings us to this item. Maybe slightly indirectly, but I'm sure you'll see. I was very thrilled and privileged to receive last year a very large box of reel-to-reel tapes. These being the personal tape archive of my good friend Colonel Norman Bearcroft. And it was sent to me from the United States of America by his widow, Major Cathy. They have some details on the boxes about what treasures lie within, but I can promise that they have music and performances on them that have not been heard for 60 years or more in some cases. Exciting stuff indeed. There'll be a lot of work involved, although I've got as far as buying a decent reel-to-reel tape player, updating some of my studio software in readiness for what I'm sure will be a wonderful voyage of discovery through those tapes. So at some stage in the next couple of years, please look out for The Bearcroft Tapes, another new series from Going to the Army. A composer and songwriter sadly almost completely forgotten today is William Hawley. He wrote almost 30 songs in the earliest days of the army, but the vast, vast majority of them have now faded from use. Hawley was a Canadian Salvationist, and his songs included the delightfully named The Hummingbird, written for the singing company. Probably his most well-known song today, and I think the only one I've ever sung, was A Light Came Out of Darkness, with its familiar chorus, Shall you, shall I, meet Jesus by and by. That's a song that we sang in our meeting here at Lincoln just a few weeks ago. But also revived in more recent times was this quirky number of his that dates from the mid-1890s. It was very much a favourite solo of Susan Turner during her many years with the International Staff Songsters. Sadly, this one never made it into a recording studio, but with music extracted and enhanced from Norman's own video archive, here is a classic performance from New York in 1986. Susan Turner singing From the General Down to Me.
Thank you. 
that it's appropriate for you to come to this territory and the very first thing, the very first program, start complaining, bemoaning, griping. <laughs> I would think those people over there in London in that very uh, sanctified place called International Headquarters <laughs> with a woman general they would not have recognized your talents and your capabilities. I think you ought to be a commissioner. But there's only room for one commissioner in this town. I know over there, there are a dime a dozen. The general's given me the authority to go as high as major. That's the best I can do. But I can't even do that because your illustrious leader here thinks that you really shouldn't be more than a corporal. That's all the stripes he gave me. So there are your stripes. You are a corporal. We don't have corporals in this territory. So there's no money. Financial secretary doesn't know how much to give a corporal. <laughs> no money, but lots of love. It started with Brian, and I add to it. I've made mention several times already in this podcast of Richard Slater. Saved in 1882, he was already proficient as a musician on brass and stringed instruments, and he started to work in what we now call the Music Editorial Department just a year later. He became an officer, rising to the rank of brigadier before his retirement in 1913. Ten years after that, by the way, he was one of the first recipients of the Order of the Founder, the highest honour that can be given to any Salvationist. During his many active years of ministry, Richard Slater wrote and arranged many hundreds of songs and band pieces, several of which are still very well known and loved today. I include things like Never Mind, Go On, Nothing But Thy Blood Can Save Me, perhaps his most well-known song, I have not much to give thee, Lord. This last song was beautifully arranged as the meditation A Gift for His Altar by Major Leslie Condon, that piece becoming, in 1983, the 1,771st piece in the general series that Richard Slater had begun almost a hundred years before. A Gift for His Altar is played for us now,
1890, the Salvation Army celebrated its Silver Jubilee with a remarkable series of events at the Crystal Palace in London. There's a great description of what it must have been like in the biography of Herbert Booth, who himself organised much of the spectacle. Just listen to this and try to imagine the amazing scene before your eyes. When the first celebration took place in 1890, the reporters of the London press, with few exceptions, treated the proposition as a huge joke, and with rustic simplicity they amused themselves with the anticipation of salvationists coming from all parts of the world to hold in London some sort of a Donnybrook fair. In the early morning of July the 15th, these unassuming reporters awoke to find themselves in no little bewilderment. Instead of one reporter, previously considered enough to detail the events of the day, 60 of them became assigned to the press table. But none of them was gifted with the vocabulary requisite to record in full all that took place. 300 bands from outside of London had arrived. These, with the 1,500 bandsmen of London, constituted a company of 5,000 instrumentalists. In addition to these, there were gathered together 60,000 Salvationists, representing every section of the globe. The War Office of the British Government commissioned an agent of the Secret Service to watch the proceedings and report on the Army's organisation. That at the time was not known but it was afterwards told us by W.T. Stead, an ally and firm friend of the army. More than 50 members of parliament also were seen on the palace grounds. Men of wealth like John Corey, John T. Denny, one of the Rothschilds, Samuel Morley and others were present too. No small attraction of the day was the musical festival defined on the programme as the Battle of Song. Nothing even approaching this spectacular display and volume of song was ever before seen or heard in the Crystal Palace. The orchestra, like an immense amphitheatre split in the middle, formed the half of a great circle. Around the conductor, Herbert Booth, on the lower seats, were massed the string bands. Next, in order and about the half circle were the brass instruments, carried by members of the household troops and home office bands. Back of the bands was ranged the first company of singers. Nearly every company in the London division was represented. Recruited from all ranks of London soldiers, they were 500 in number, each carrying a tambourine the sound and sight of which in action was likened by Herbert to the rattle and glitter of a steel-clad battalion doing a musical drill. Up and beyond these was the main body of singers. To the left, 1,200 male voices, each man clad in a red jersey and holding in his hand a fluttering pennant. On the right, there was a corresponding company of 1,200 female voices, each lassie robed in the sombre uniform of the bonnet and dark blue, and each holding one of the many coloured pennants. 
above this great choir, fringing the semicircle at the top, was the junior choir. A thousand girls ranged above the women and a thousand boys above the men. Each of these juniors held a flag, making another brilliant scene of colour. Bandmaster Fry presided at the grand organ, Bandmaster Appleby was in charge of the brass bands and Bandmaster Slater directed the string bands. The total strength of the choir, including the orchestra, was 5,000. At a word spoken by Herbert, Bandmaster Fry struck the keys of the organ. The women singers removed their sashes, then their bonnets, and suddenly the sashes were seen to stretch out into broad folds of pure white, the more splendid to look upon because of the contrast with the flaming red jerseys worn by the men. The reader can easily imagine the soul-stirring effect that was produced upon the audience of more than 15,000 people when, in response to the baton held by Herbert, that mighty chorus thundered forth the battle song of the army, the words by Colonel Pearson, the pioneer poet of the army, and the music of Herbert. God is keeping his soldiers fighting, evermore we shall conquer as be. All the hosts of hell are uniting, but we are sure to have victory. Sounds amazing. How I wish I could see that. But at least I can hear the tune. God is keeping his soldiers fighting. the Norfolk Fellowship Brass there, representing the somewhat larger ensemble that we just read about, performing it at the Crystal Palace 133 years ago. But it's still such a great song, isn't it? 
I find it rather astonishing that such a presence could be mustered by an organisation that had only existed for 25 years, and only 12 years in its Salvation Army format. Can you even imagine such a growth? Can you remember what you were doing in 1998? Doesn't seem that long ago, does it? Yet the years between 1998 and now was all that the army had had to spread right through this country and attract hundreds and thousands of members all around the world. Wow. I have to admit, I hadn't heard a lot about Herbert Booth in my life until Ray Stedman Allen came to lead a band weekend at Portsmouth Citadel some years ago. During the course of the weekend, he referred to Herbert as being one of his own faith heroes. And that immediately struck me, as my limited knowledge of Herbert Booth was that he was something of a persona non grata, someone who was rarely spoken about and, to many, seemed best forgotten. Ray and I spoke at length on that day about him and his contribution to the army, and I later discovered that there was a lot more to his story. For a long time, Colonel Stedman Allen and I spoke about getting together, he on the piano and me singing, and recording a selection of the Commandant's songs. Sadly, that never happened, but it wasn't long before my own research had placed Herbert Booth quite firmly at the top of my own pyramid of faith heroes. And again, I recommend that you try to find a copy of his biography by H.C. Ottman if you can. That's the publication that I read from earlier, of course. Herbert wrote words and music aplenty, but his greatest achievements undoubtedly lie in the fact that he was one of the first men in the whole world to explore the new invention of cinema. Herbert's film epic, Soldiers of the Cross, that was a mixture of slides, film and live action, stands today as one of the earliest entries that you'll find in the entire history of cinema. IMDB, the online database of films and TV, describes some of the action like this. Soldiers of the Cross contained series of maulings at the Colosseum, crucifixions, beheadings, savage hackings and burnings at the stake, burnings in the lime pit, the spectacle of human torches in Nero's garden. And Herbert and his wife Cornelie's songs were of such an important part in the early Salvation Army that when that tragic day came when he left his officership, his father's organisation negotiated that Herbert could keep the rights to his film while the army kept the rights to the songs. And that's probably also the reason, by the way, why Salvationist was suspended for daring to visit the cinema for the next 60 years or so. The whole thing's a rather sad story, perhaps best for another day and forum. But still today, Herbert's songs are used throughout the army world. Our songsters here in Lincoln recently revived Ivor Bazanko's beautiful adaptation of I Bring Them to Jesus. But right up to the most recent publications, modern Salvation Army composers such as Dorothy Gates, Dean Jones and Harold Bergmeier have all had music published that uses Herbert Booth's moving and heart-stirring lyrics. In fact, I can't let this opportunity pass without indulging myself by using my own personal favourite from the great man's collection. So here is my all-time army number one. From the Royal Albert Hall Festival in 1979, this is songster leader Ian Johnson and the Festival Chorus with The Penitent's Plea. 
grace there is my every debt to pay.
I don't know where you're listening to this podcast, or even how your own personal standing with the Lord is. I do know that many of the listeners to most of my podcasts includes men and women who have, to some degree at least, lost the faith and enthusiasm that they once held earlier in life. I hope you don't mind me saying that during that song, I prayed for you, believing that God still speaks, still cares, and still has a task in his service for each and every one of us. If you need to, friends, please claim that wonderful grace from God today. It's time now for a little curio. I've just finished reading the biography of Commissioner John Lawley. Now, Lawley came from humble beginnings in Norfolk to travel the world as the ADC to William Booth, often leading the prayer times and appeals after Booth had given the sermon. One of the founder's famous sayings, of course, was, Sing it again, Lawley! And that saying would undoubtedly have had its origin on these occasions. On a visit to the United States of America in 1898, John Lawley was actually recorded on an old cylinder, and so we can actually hear the Commissioner sing and lead singing all these years later. I've managed to clean up the sound somewhat, so here is, if not the earliest ever recording of Salvation Army music, a very, very early one. It's John Lawley singing his own song, my sins rose as high as the mountain. Fire it up! 
As someone who've spent a lot of my life studying and learning about army music, I absolutely love it when even now, after all these years, I find out something that I never knew before. When I was about 12, a wipey bandsman at Torquay, where my parents were the COs, I started to play euphonium, and I soon moved on to euphonium solos. First, it was George Marshall's Ransomed, and then Eric Lydson's Song of the Brother, which nearly 50 years later I still play occasionally. But in that same army book of euphonium solos, and a big red cover if you remember it, was also The Warrior by Phil Catalinet. Now that solo, although less well known than the other two I mentioned a moment ago, also played an important role in my own music education. A few years earlier, when we lived in Camborne, my dad was playing, as he so often did, records from his collection of Army 78s. He came to my bedroom door and called me in to hear something. And when the soloist on the recording played the second variation, that's the fast semiquavers one, dad turned to me and said, hear that? When you can play like that, you'll know you've arrived. I took it as a kind of challenge. I listened to that same recording many times myself, and once a euphonium player, I practised and practised to try to find that elusive destination at which one day I might, hopefully, arrive. Well, the record in question was played by bandsman Victor Saywell, but I never, until a few weeks ago, knew what the theme tune of the solo was. And then, on perusing my 1880s copy of Salvation Army Music, I came across a song with these words. I'm a soldier. If you want me, for Jesus I will fight. I want to spread salvation and put the devil to flight. God finds me ammunition and blood and fire and skill. I'm just the sort that's wanted. I know the army drill. I'm a soldier. If you want me, you will find me in the Salvation Army. So now I know. A song that was much used and loved in those early days. And here's that recording, Victor Saywell and the euphonium solo, The Warrior. Thank you. 
things must come to an end and our time together on this podcast must also now draw to its close. The good news is we've only explored the first 40 years of the army's wonderful music library. So I'll be back soon with a second instalment with music and songs from 1905 to 1945. I do hope you'll join me for that. But before we go, here's another of the oldest Salvation Army pieces ever recorded. When we recorded it with Portsmouth Citadel Band a few years ago, we thought it might be the earliest. But obviously since then I found out about the Donizetti arrangement that we heard earlier, and that seems to hold that particular prize. So to close today, it's General Series number 451, published in 1904 and written by Frederick Hawkes. This is the Vesper Hymn March. Thank you all for listening, and God bless you all. Cheerio for now. <laughs>